millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lil Tullest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network Want to say hello to the subscribers Thank you all for checking out the series Whether you do it uh, once a week with all the interviews that we put out Or you listen in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday With the new interviews that's released on those days Love seeing your comments that you're leaving In the various places that you're listing Uh, Please continue to keep doing that And if you haven't given the series a rating or review That's always a huge help Uh, So here's the encouragement If you're not a subscriber Go ahead and hit that subscribe button Whether it's your first time checking us out Or you've been here before It's a great way to keep up with all your favorite artists And what they're up to Just grab your listening device Head to where you get your podcast from Wherever you're listening to this right now And hit that subscribe button I'm Kyle Mayer. Today I am talking with one of the greatest actors of our time, one of the greatest artists of all time, a man that takes his craft seriously and makes it look like total fun. I'm talking about Edward Norton. He has just released a movie called Motherless Brooklyn. This is a movie that he wrote the screenplay to, directed the film, has the starring role in, a passion project of his for 20 years. And with it set in 1950s New York, 
Edward and I are going to take the opportunity to talk about the music of the film. It's the one thing that, you know, he didn't do. He took the era deep into the jazz, hard bop era that was happening around that time, called up Wynton Marcellus, who put together just this amazing band of his, to not only feature in the film, but put together this actual soundtrack. So we're going to talk about uh, how he ended up in that era and that type of music and working with Wynton and the band and how that relates to the score that was done by Daniel Pemberton. It's a, it's a very noir-ish score to fit a very noirish movie. It is beautiful, it is haunting, and it's perfect complements to what Wenton is doing on the jazz side of it. And right in the middle of those two, with the song on the soundtrack, Tom York of Radiohead, Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, they collaborated on a song called Daily Battles. You will hear me say this multiple times in the interview. It is the perfect middle ground to tie. It's the Lebowski rug is what it is. It ties the whole room together. So we're going to hear about the whole process, working with these amazing artists, the conversations they had to get to these moments, and how it works within the movie, how they relate to the characters, how they push the characters along, but honestly, how the songs even stand on their own. If you've never seen the movie, you could listen to the soundtrack and the score and see a version of the movie in your head. It's a perfect compliment in that way. This interview is also just a great excuse for Edward Norton and I to geek out about music. That's what this is. And what's fun is he talks about being very fortunate in his career to reach out to the artists that he admires to work with them. And that's the moment I'm having right now. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be fanboyish and tell you that's the moment I'm having. I'm very fortunate right now, right here, to be talking with one of my favorite artists of all time, discussing the movie Motherless Brooklyn. It's Kyle Meredith with Edward Norton. My pleasure. We're talking about Motherless Brooklyn. Uh, in fact, uh, we're going to talk a lot about the, the music of Motherless Brooklyn, which, um, as I was looking at this, you know, here, here's this, uh, this movie that's, that's getting these great reviews. You've written the screenplay. You've directed the film. You're starring in the film. And it seems like the only thing you didn't do was actually made the music of the film. But it's, uh, it's a powerful soundtrack that I've been listening to. And, and you originally took the story, the, the original book, from the 90s to the, the 50s. There was more music than just jazz in the past, but uh, was there any reason why you kind of directed straight towards that sound? Well, if there's any style of music ever that has a Tourettic quality to it, I would say it's mid-50s bop (laughs) and hard bop. Um, It's the idea of compulsively looping around a phrase, twisting it, reshaping it, is that language could describe jazz just as easily as um. Tourette's and I love that idea that, that somehow it's an analogy for the way Lionel's head works. But in him, it's something he always wants to suppress. And in jazz, it's joyful. And that I love the idea that somewhere along the way, he finally encounters this thing that for once lets him enjoy, enjoy himself without restraint, as opposed to always trying to suppress these impulses. And that he finds kind of this identification with the trumpet player. I, I found my own relation to that in... Um... You know, I, I'm in my late 30s now and, th- and thinking back into my early 20s when things were a little bit out of control. And, and I found, I guess, what, what they were doing more in the late in, in the late 60s, early 70s with, with freeform uh, and acid jazz and everything. And so what you're talking about, while I don't have Tourette's, I can kind of exactly see where the character would find that direction himself. And I, I wondered about the other side of it, because at its height, you know, jazz... It was dangerous. There was there was always something about it. I mean, the best music of all time has always had that sense of danger to it. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say danger. I feel like I feel like what was going on in jazz was somewhat socially revolutionary in the sense that 
you know, as Winton will often say, jazz was integrated long before even sports was. And African-American men in jazz were doing an end run around the discrimination of that era becoming icons, you know, stars. And that was a shift even from the 40s. You know, obviously there had been there had been sort of big band leaders and stars, but people like Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis were becoming international stars in the post-war era, especially, you know, in the across the 50s. And it was it was like uh, suddenly you had musicians and artists liberating themselves from the discrimination that was <clears throat> sort of the baseline experience for most people. Not that they didn't experience it, but they were going to Paris and being treated like stars and starting to experience the potency of their talent, you know. And I wanted, I liked the idea of that being webbed into it in the character of the trumpet player. You mentioned uh, Winton, and and you know we'll talk about that in the soundtrack too. While you do have a classic track with uh, with Dizzy and and Charlie Anthony's on there with relaxing with Lee, most of it does sit around uh, Winton Marcellus and and the band that he put together. What was the collaborative process between the two of you like? Well, I should highlight just say we only have a couple of like what I'd call needle drops, you know, of of old period recordings, and those are specifically when someone's playing something on a radio, you know. So like the the Bird and Diz track from that record Britain does uh, relaxing with Lee that's in the car on the radio and so is uh, the Babs Gonzalez round midnight those are those are things we actually hear coming over a radio everything else that's heard is either played live in the club scene or is the score which Winton and his guys play a lot of not all of because it's obviously a big orchestral jazz score but they Winton plays the lead trumpet on a lot of the of the score as well as it's his trumpet under Michael K. Williams, you know, character playing. I don't know when, when you've got to have the conversation, you know, to talk about, you know, this is, this is the era that it's going to be. And I mean, he's a master at this, obviously. I, I've been lucky to see him a handful of times here in Louisville and, and, and watch him do his thing. But I guess, do you have to give uh, Winton direction when you say, look, we're looking at the 1950s, so so what you're doing in these songs needs to sound exactly like that from the period? Or is it kind of allowed to sound contemporary uh, looking back? No, the the live music in the club, we wanted to have it feel like uh, appropriate to that era, the style of that era. And we picked things together that both served the what we wanted out of the scene, like the first track is... Um, Clifford Brown, Max Roach, Blues Walk. We we picked that because it's fun. It's celebratory. It, it's the beginning of their date in a way, and something's happening between them. He's starting to have fun, and that that piece has an upbeat, up tempo, joyful vibe to it. Later, when he's getting a little bit hammered and things are getting a little weird, and he gets like you know roughhoused out of the club, we went with Jump Monk, the Mingus track, Jump Monk, because it's more because it's chaotic. It's chaotic and dissonant, and it feels sort of like a fight is brewing. You know what I mean? It's a piece that fits the moment. But those, we we definitely went and orchestrated them to be very much in the style, specifically in the style that would have been right for the time. Mm-hmm. The score itself has much more of what I'd call like a, a neo-noir or a, um, it, it's got obviously very classical melodies on track that, that are on the soundtrack like Woman in Blue and and the motherless Brooklyn theme, the, the sort of the, the Lionel theme, those are very lyrical and evocative. And Winton and Daniel Pemberton created some 
almost like jazz standard versions of those. But throughout the score, there's also a lot of strange dissonance, you know, circular breathing and, and very dissonant. Even jazz riffs played rewound and played backward at high speed to create strange kind of soundscapes. And that's, you know, Daniel Pemberton's really great work. But but Wynn and his guys and a bunch of good players in London all also, you know, really brought their chops to creating a very amelodic and arrhythmic and dissonant landscape of sound, out, but using traditional instruments of a quintet, you know? And I, d- I did want to uh, compliment that Daniel Pemberton score, too. Uh, it was gray and rainy here yesterday, and I had the score playing on the way home. And I tell you, if 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 I were allowing myself to be transported back to that moment, it did it. Every bit of that score was perfect for that kind of feeling. Yeah, he is a real, he's as great a talent working in film music as I've run into these days. He's He is a real a savant. He's a gifted and passionate composer. Um, Wynton was super, super impressed with the score overall, and more so because Daniel wrote the whole score in something like four weeks, yeah. which is really rather remarkable. But the way it all it all plays together, and and you know, I'll talk about the connecting piece here too, with with uh, Tom York and Flea doing uh, Daily Battles, because it is one of those times where you can see the movie, whether you've seen it or not, in your head just by listening to kind of these these you know three pieces what Wenton's doing what Daniel's doing and of course what Tom and and Flea are doing in there it's it's easy to kind of see what I should be seeing does that make sense yes i'm glad i'm i i really like that observation and i'm it makes me happy because i think that film music when it's just a mirror of what's happening on the screen i call it like an emotional amplifier that's not super interesting cuz when you take those those scores and you listen to them by themselves, they're really not doing much. They're kind of like these pads of enhancement to a, a simplistic emotional tone, and you can't see the scene, right? So you're like, I don't know what this is in reference to, really. But I think what's, what what I love is what Daniel did, like when Lionel's following Laura, this, this girl who he has no idea who she is in a blue coat through the city. He writes, there's mystery and kind of uncertainty in the music, but then... Without her ever having opened her mouth, a theme begins that starts to actually tell you about her. You, you start to grasp that she's a good person, that there's a kind of a, a draw toward her goodness and toward her, the allure of her. And that theme, The Woman in Blue, is so beautiful on its own that honestly, consciously or unconsciously, you sort of start to fall for her. You know what I mean? Just there's a romance. There's such a longing and a romance and a sense of poignancy in that in that track with its own melodic story that you you start to feel things that the movie hasn't even really revealed yet. And that's really great film writing. That's you know, that's what the theme of Chinatown does. Honestly, mm-hmm. Jerry Goldsmith's great. You know, it's, that movie opens and you feel something you feel something very distinct before you literally even know what this is gonna be about. It tells you that there's gonna be loss in the story. That that's the stuff that's really becomes classic, I think. Yeah. stands on its own feet, as you're saying. It's, 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 is it a composition that actually stands on its own? And, and Winton and the guys, those two pieces, Woman in Blue and Motherless Theme, those guys all read it and, like, Winton looked at Daniel and was like, these are straight-up standards. And the fact that they were able to cut them, you know, on the soundtrack, we have those two pieces of the score. Uh, they're, they, those are the closing titles, and, and they orchestrated them as, as, you know, jazz standards. And you can't do that with much film music. 
that's those moments that instantly creates nostalgia, you know, to kind of play around with uh, with time loops there for a second, because, you know, the assault on the senses film can do one thing and the music can do one thing. But when it all matches up like that, I mean, that's the moments where you look back and you hear the piece five, ten years later and you're going, no, I know exactly what's going on. Those are those perfect, perfect. I agree. Yeah, Actually, sen- Daniel and I, this will sound like this will be a completely off center reference. But when we first met, we talked about um, the Vangelis score of Chariots of Fire, which couldn't have less to do with motherless Brooklyn and jazz, but it's a 1920s running film with a synth score over it. And then a classical piano. It's a a mashup of this kind of very modernist idea with this instantly memorable. And if you play that for people, their mind, they, they not only can return to the film, they kind of go to a place, like you say, of memory. They remember the emotion of that time in life. It's that good a piece. And I love, we both love that the boldness of that choice to do a 1920s running film, but to do music that almost said, this is timeless. This is, this is like, this is universal. These young men testing themselves and it made it modern at the same time. And it's, it's genius. It's, and think about how that score owns running. I mean, literally, People running in slow motion <laughs> is defined by the Chariots of Fire score, literally, Absolutely. you know, um, for decades it was. And and I think that's really, it's really special when that kind of thing happens. But that's a very, it's much more bold when you really stop and think about it. It's a very, very bold choice to do that kind of a score on that kind of a film. And I think, you know, what I loved about working with Daniel is when I said to him, like, I got Tom York and I've got Wynton Marcellus and we've got to build a score that fuses those sensibilities he was so lit up about that idea like really lit up about it he didn't go "Ooh, that's like olives and chocolate that doesn't go together you know what i mean <laughs> olives and chocolate well I, I we positively have to talk about tom york and, and flea in this a uh, beautiful haunting song with daily battles i mean uh you know radiohead's one of the most important bands of of my life god knows i've spent enough time with their music uh let's hear about this though because daily battles is something Different, And I, I call it the great piece between what Wynton does and what Daniel does, because it does seem to kind of put the two together. But but I'd love to hear the story about this and how it fits into the movie. I've known Tom a long time since those guys were playing little clubs in New York. I'd say we've known each other over 20 years, and I feel all the same things you said. It, they've been one of the definitive bands, and as a writer, he's been one of the people in our generation, I think, who's really captured a sense of personal, emotional longing and melancholy, but also grafted on top of it a sense of, like, social stress. You know what I mean? The modern age, right? He's The commentary in those songs is emotional and personal, but it's also, a, there's also a big social critique in it, right? And it, he deals with just sort of fracture of, the fracture of living in the times we're living in. And I don't think everybody does that. that. Not everybody. I mean, that's to me like what Spike Lee does as a filmmaker. He makes very entertaining films, but he's a really deep social commentary is laced in Spike's films in a way that most people don't even attempt. And I just thought like, uh, I thought that there was, I couldn't get the idea out of my head that in some ways Lionel and his very chaotic brain, but his lonely heart were sort of that they, it's the same straddle. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if Tom if I put it to Tom to just say, could you write a ballad that encompasses that straddle of personal loneliness, but also a sense of, of the times that you're living in? And 
I sent him the script and he and he wrote that song in response to the script and it had such an impact on me that I I actually altered things in the screenplay I in, I included the phrase daily daily battles when Laura says to Lionel in the car when he's complaining about his condition and she said we've all got our daily battles right and it sort of makes him realize that he's being a little bit he's wallowing a little bit and she's a black woman who's a lawyer and everybody sees her as a secretary and she's watched her deal with sort of daily casual racism and it sort of like makes him sit up a little straighter, you know, and uh, there's a line in the song, in Tom's song, about how the, the other side has no face and, you know, almost like the, how difficult it is to even understand where the dark forces that affect you are. And I liked that line so much. I, it, I actually sketched out a storyboard of meeting Alec Baldwin's character without seeing his face, swimming in the pool and walking away from us and getting into the car without his face and then the inauguration of the mayor but there's this faceless person in the shadows who's obviously more powerful and that was very affected by the song and but then we wanted the song Tom you know sketched it on the piano with his voice and we wanted it to blend with the language of the film and so Flea Tom and Flea have worked together Flea is a very old friend of mine I've, I've known him even longer than Tom and he people don't know but he's a really great trumpet player on top of a great uh, bassist and he he went back I don't even remember how long ago Flea went back to USC and did a advanced degree in composition theory on trumpet. And I, I knew that. And I, I said to Tom, like, what if we grabbed Flea to, by putting bass and horn in it, but, but our way, your way, we, we can connect the, the musical voicing of your song to the rest of the film. And so Flea layered those in those, you know, instruments into it and, and then Tom ran them through compressors and reversed them. And it's really great because it, it just having the presence of that horn, it anchors it in the literally in the instrumental language of the rest of the film. But it has Tom's very unique kind of surrealism, which is great because it's right when Lionel smokes the opium or whatever it is he's smoking that sort of makes him start to trip out. And I love the way Tom takes Flea's horn and alters it so that altered state that Lionel's getting into is literally reflected in the horn. It's it's just great. Yeah. It's great stuff. Again, it, it on paper when you said it to people, it was they were like, I don't really see how those things are gonna go together, but you just have to kinda have faith. I knew Tom loves Mingus blues and roots and he's quite obsessed with the dissonance in jazz in in some of that more experimental jazz started happening in the late 50s and I, I knew it was going to work i i didn't know tom was going to write such a great song but i knew that the voicing could integrate and and they did winton did the arrangement of it that as if it was a miles davis ballad that that it, that's what's playing when they dance in the club is a 50s miles davis style arrangement of tom's song and that was super cool tom loved that and and Daniel was able to take inspiration from sort of what I would call the Radiohead playbook and do some very unexpected stuff in the score that, like I said, you know, more dissonant things, circular breathing on the sax and putting pianos and cymbals backwards and all kinds of cool stuff he did. Like I said, it, it all come together so perfectly and, and hearing, you know, how it works. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, it really is. And it's a perfect compliment to, to what you've done here on the film. The rapper on it to me is like the, the best thing about directing other than telling a story you want to tell is that you, you, you get to ring up the people that whose work you think is the best and you get to ask them to come in and elevate your piece, you know? And, and so like when you, when you get to call on, 
people who do the stuff you love and say, this may be an unusual mashup, but it's the mashup of the things that I love. You're just sort of, you know, you have to just sort of take the bet that that is going to work for someone else too, you know, and, and hope that it, that it all comes together. Um, but at a certain point, like, <laughs> what a waste, what a way, why work that hard if you're not going to get to at least work with some of your heroes, you know what I mean? Right, right. It's it's a good way to spend a day anyway, spend a life, spend a career. Uh, <laughs> But we benefit, and, and you know, I'd like to say that we do. You know, we as the fans, as as the watchers, as the listeners, we benefit from from your hero worship, I guess. Uh, to kind of, Thanks. Well, I mean, I I haven't gotten tired of listening to the soundtrack, which is saying a lot because I've heard it a lot. I I I literally am still putting it on because it's it's. I really love the really love the mashup that came out of it. All right, Edward. Thank you again so much for taking the time yeah, to talk to me about pleasure. this, man. It thanks. was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Bye. A humongous thanks to Edward Norton. The movie is called Motherless Brooklyn. The soundtrack, the score, is also called Motherless Brooklyn. And the single, Tom York and Flea, that's called Daily Battles. And thanks to you for checking out the episode. Again, if you're not already a subscriber to the series, I I hope you had enough fun that you're going to hit the subscribe button and keep up with all the episodes that we put out. New ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Interviews with all of your favorite artists. You can follow along anywhere you get your podcasts from. That includes iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify. YouTube, Podchaser, Stitcher, Acast, any of those spots. And if you're already subscribed, uh, please do think about, uh, you know, giving the series a rating, leaving a review, or just saying hi in the comment box. After that, head to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour of song premieres, of music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, that's WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter, at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.